Two kids. Okay. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, open up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. Tom, thank you for filling in again uh, for us last week. So much appreciated. Always does a fine job. We are working our way through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And today we will finish up chapter 1 with a look at verses 11 through 23. I'll take it a bite at a time. So let's begin with, excuse me, with verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, In him we were chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So here in verse 11, Paul is reiterating uh, the point he made back in verse 4, which I covered a couple of weeks ago, it says, For he chose us in him, this is from verse 4, He chose us in him before the creation of the world. God chose us. He chose me. He chose you. Before he created anything, he chose us. And get this, the God who chose us has a plan. And that plan has a purpose. And everything is absolutely indeed working out, eventually, according to his will. According to his planned purpose. Now, when Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, I'm thinking he had to have Jeremiah 29, 11 in mind in his writing. I mean, is there any of you who are not thinking of it? I mean... We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? If we've been a Christian for any length of time, you've had a sticker or a bumper sticker or a plaque or somebody gave you a cheesy Christmas present with it printed on there or something with Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Great verse. One of the memory verses from some class you took at some point somewhere sometime. Anyway, Jeremiah 29, 11. I really think Paul must have had the, this verse in mind as he wrote these last couple of verses, 11 and 12, to the church at Ephesus. Where he writes, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Good words. Powerful words. Encouraging words. No wonder they're popular. No wonder we have it on stickers and plaques and memory verses. Because we need to know this, that our God has a plan for us. And I think he had those verses in mind also when he wrote to the Romans. When Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 28, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 28 and 30, when he says, For we know that in all things God works together for good, for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. For we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him. Like it says in verse 11 and 12, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We have a good God. So keep this in mind and let this bring you freedom. Let this bring you freedom. It's God who chose you. It's God who calls you. It's God who justifies you. It's God alone who glorifies you. It's all on Him. Right? You didn't choose yourself. You didn't call yourself. You absolutely didn't justify yourself. Is anybody here deluded enough to think that you justified yourself? I've lived my life. I wake up every morning and look at the face in the mirror, and I know. I know my good days and my bad days. Right? If I total it up, I didn't justify myself. If I only totaled up all my good days, I didn't justify myself, right? Come on, can we just be honest here? 
man, if I just if I had a blank spot for all my bad days, I still wouldn't have been justifying. The ability, it's a supernatural, it's a miraculous ability that humanity can be justified and it's done all on God's end alone. We bring nothing to the table. To the table labeled justify, we come to that table bankrupt. We come to that table naked. No pockets to have anything in. We bring nothing to the table. And everything required for us to be justified, God brings to the table. Because it is God who chose, it's God who calls, it's God who justifies, and it will be, in the end, God alone who glorifies us. It's all on Him. And it's been His plan since before the beginning. When He chose you before the creation of the world, and the word world there means cosmos, it means universe, before He created the known universe, what we understand is everything, before He created everything, he picked you. And so listen to me, and let this be good news to you. If there are any remnants left in you of performance-based Christianity, because for five years I've been trying to beat that stuff out of you guys. <laughs> if there are any remnants of performance-based Christianity, listen to me. It's not on you. It's all on Him. It's not up to you to make it happen. Verses 13 and 14. <laughs> and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were mocked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And right, so what's Paul saying here is this is not just for those first followers of Jesus. It's not just for the twelve disciples and for the people in the upper room and for you know the crowds that followed him faithfully on the earth. It's it's not just for them. It's not just for the first century church. It's for us who believe the truth. It's for us who believe the message of the gospel. That includes everyone in this room. We have a guarantee for, for those of us who put our trust in God. We have a guarantee, and the guarantee is this, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the mark, is the seal of God. In that day, when someone of renown, someone of position, would send a message, they would seal that message, right, with, with melted wax and a, a signet ring. They would put their seal on it. It is as if, God has taken with his mighty hand and placed his seal on you. The Holy Spirit is that very seal, that mark from God Almighty. It's, a, it's as if it's his signature, his endorsement. Someone contacted me, an old friend contacted me recently. They needed a job, a letter of recommendation for a job they were applying for. And so I love this person. I wrote them a glowing recommendation. And at the end of it, I put my signature at the bottom of it. I gave them my endorsement. I put the full weight of my credibility uh, behind it and, and told them, hire this person. Don't let this one get away. Your whole company will benefit from it. That's what the Holy Spirit is for you. It's God's letter of endorsement. It's his seal. It's his signature. It's his guarantee. It's, a, it's his deposit guaranteeing our ultimate inheritance, which is an eternity in the presence of the Trinity. It's God securing our place in that perfect circle of love and unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to me, guys. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is very good news. It saddens me to think that there are whole denominations there are millions of people in the world who call themselves Christians and they embrace the Father and they embrace the Son and they reject the Spirit. I'm like, I don't get it. This is your guarantee. It's like, it's like taking up the guarantee and ripping it up and throwing it away. Not that they could ever have the ability to discard the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be present in their lives whether they recognize it or not. But the sadness 
of rejecting the presence and the power of God. He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself completely. All aspects of Himself. And there are whole sections of the church. They, they rather do church without Him. And so they do. And then when God shows up and dares to act like God in our midst, they get pretty upset. I don't want to, I don't want to pastor a church that way. I want to pastor a church where people are welcome, but I want to pastor a church foremost where God is welcome. Isn't that what you want? Because Jesus had no trouble drawing a crowd. Matter of fact, he used to have to find quiet places to go on by himself. Get away from the crowds. Anyway. The Holy Spirit's the seal. It's the guarantee. It's a good thing. The Holy Spirit is good news for those of us who are believers. Verses 15 and 16. For this reason, Paul writes, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So what Paul's saying is that for this reason, knowing the call, the plan, the purpose of God over your lives, and ever since I heard the reports of the fact that you trust God, you trust God and you love people, I pray for you. And I've not stopped giving God thanks for you. And then he goes on in verse 17 to the first part of verse 19. And he tells them, this is what I've been praying. When I pray for you, these are the things I pray. I love these next verses. These verse, next verses have had a profound impact on my spiritual journey. Verses 17, 18, and the first half of verse 19 Paul writes, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul prays for the people at Ephesus. He prays that they'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He prays that their, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that light would come and fill the eyes of their heart. He prays that they may know hope, that they would know the inheritance of his incomparable great power. Man, that's a good prayer. I've prayed that prayer for you. I've prayed that prayer for myself. I've prayed that prayer for many people. I think I prayed that prayer yesterday at Knowles Church. We were doing that full day of worship or prayer thing. People who know me well have come to associate Ephesians 1.17 with me. Man, I want all that stuff. I want everything Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. It's good stuff. And you know what? I've experienced some of it already. I have experience with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I have some experience with the eyes of my heart being enlightened. And since I'm preaching on these verses today, let me tell you, let me share with you my story of how I've experienced some of this. Maybe I've shared some in the past, but maybe in more detail today than you've ever heard before. So back in 2002, Nadine and I were pastoring a church in Kennewick, Washington, and much to our surprise, and not according to our plan at all, we found ourselves pastoring a prophetic church. And truly by the grace of God, and just the favor of God, um, prophetic ministers from all over the country would come and speak at our church and, and speak in our conferences. Now, you have to understand, it's not like we lived in some major metropolis, right? Or it wasn't a, it was some fly-through city. It wasn't like, oh, they were going from the East Coast to the West Coast, and they had to, you know, they had to stop in Toronto or Dallas or Atlanta. And so I didn't live in one of those cities. We lived in an out-of-the-way place, about as out-of-the-way as we are now. I mean, it's not easy to fly to Charlottetown, right? <laughs> you have to want to come to Charlottetown, <laughs> Well, it's kind of what it was like in Kennewick. You had to want to come to Kennewick. It was purposed. You had to be intentional about it. 
It wasn't like, oh, I'm driving through. I heard there's a guy there. Let's stop by. No. God sent people. We had favor. Favor we weren't looking for. And I really wasn't looking for. And so here I am, the pastor of a prophetic church. I'd gone to that church after eight years of pastoring prophetic people in West Virginia, and I was done with them. <laughs> you know, some prophetic people can be messy, and I was just burnt out on messy. I was. I loved them, and they were awesome. But by the time I got to Washington, I'm sure there's a cassette tape out there somewhere that has me saying, look, let's just love God, and let's just love people. And as far as the gifts of the Holy Spirit go, if they show up, fine. If not, well, oh well. You know, I mean, that's where I was at at the time. Right? Those were my plans. And God laughs. He laughs at my plans. He had other plans. And the other plans were this, is that he planned to send some of the foremost well-known prophetic people in North America to our front door. They had dinner at our house. I remember I first got to that church, I did one of the things John Wimber used to teach back in the day. He says, write up a five-year plan. And so, man, I was... I was so structured and organized. I was so in the box back then. One of the first things I did, I'm going to do what John Wimber said to do. I wrote up a five-year plan. Not one of those prophetic people were anywhere in my five-year plan. So here we are. We're there just a short time. And these prophetic people start showing up. So I remember the very first event was with Larry Randolph. I love Larry. Hysterically funny, powerfully anointed. I think this was the second event. Larry speaking the first night. And I have worked so hard to organize this event to death. I have all my ducks in a row. I've got people in charge of all the right things. And I have, I mean, everything is structured out. Their responsibilities have been delegated. I'm making sure that nothing is going to get messed up. We plan for months and months and months for this event. Right, Bob Jones is there, Paul Keith Davis, Larry Randolph, Don Potter's doing worship, um, there were other, Bobby Connor. Yeah, it was just crazy. It was just an unbelievable event. I was in so far over my head, and in my insecurities, I was going to structure and organize this thing to death so that nothing would get messed up. That's the truth. Right. So here's the first night, and Larry Randolph gets up, and he speaks, and then he starts ministering to people. And he don't know who's on my team. He doesn't know that I, you know, my key people. And he, he's calling people out of the crowd, having them come up, praise over them. They hit the ground. And they stay there, right? I'm thinking, oh, my God, I had no backup for that guy. <laughs> and he, then he calls up another person on my team, prays for them, and they hit the ground. He wiped out every single person on my team, and then he called me up. <laughs> and I, he prays for me, and I hit the ground. I am so taken out by the power of God on the floor. I can't move. I can't move. I can't get up. My eye can look, and I can look around the room. I'm thinking, I have no idea how, who's going to turn out the lights and who's going to lock the doors. <laughs> I am so wiped out. No exaggeration. Nadine and my son carried me to the car, carried me into the house, carried me up the stairs. I kind of have a vague memory of my son with a video camera, so there's a video out there somewhere. He was thoroughly enjoying this. God's ways are not our ways. Right? I'm, I'm on my hands and knees climbing up the stairs to get to my bed. God does that kind of stuff. He didn't really care about all my plans, all my careful structuring and organizing. I remember laying on the floor, and my mind is whirling. Like, how am I going to manage this? How am I going to fix this? And by the way, I'm not sure I even understand this. What does this mean? What is God doing? My brain is just really fast. And this is what God says to me. I'll never forget it. I'm on the floor, incapacitated. And God says to me, hey, Tom, when your daughter was born, did you want to embrace her or did you want to dissect her? And, it was, and the thought was revolting. It just jolted me. It was like, dissect her. Of course I would never want to dissect her. He said, just embrace this. What he's telling me, he's birthing something. And that birth is messy and that he can do it without me and all my systems and all my structures and all my plans and my whole team and he can still birth something. 
And guess what? That night, somehow the lights got turned off, and somehow the doors got locked, and everything went, went fine the next day. This wasn't in my plan. I wasn't looking for this. I didn't sign up for this. This was a God thing. So this was back in 2002. So these prophetic people begin to show up, and they're telling stories of these amazing encounters that they would have with God. And in the best possible way, in the healthiest possible way, it stirred my heart. It provoked me the jealousy. And I could remember sitting there listening to them and saying to God, Lord, your word says that you are no respecter of persons. And that if you could do that with, if you could do this with them, if you could do those things with them, then why can't you do it with me? I want that, Lord. I, I think, honestly, guys, from my heart, I don't want fame. I had no desire for fame or for fortune. I didn't really care about having a big church. I wanted to experience God Almighty the way that they experienced God Almighty. That was my driving motivator. And so I began to pray. I prayed for two solid years the same prayer. Oh, God, give me eyes that see and give me ears to hear. Oh, God, give me eyes that see and ears to hear. And every time one of these guys would come to town, I'd say, lay hands on me. Pray for impartation. Please pray for me that God would give me eyes to see and ears to hear. I just tenaciously, relentlessly, I prayed it for two years. And then in 2004, God began to answer that prayer. We were at a conference in Kansas City. And um, again, all these guys are there. And it was an event hosted by Paul Keith Davis. And Paul Keith just loved Nadine and I. And uh, he extended an invitation for us to come. And, and, so, and so we went. I didn't have any money to go. And, um, and so somebody else bought me a ticket to go. So me and a buddy, we go. And um, I think the title of the event was Open Heavens. And on the final night, anybody know who Sean Boltz is? Sean Boltz is working with Paul Keith Davidson. Look up Sean Boltz on Facebook. Follow Sean Boltz. He's one of the prophets out there today who I believe with all my heart gets the message of grace and love. Too many prophets, some of the older ones, they're still hellfire and brimstone. It's a new season. And in this new mercy season... You know, the prophetic is, I believe, to be used for grace and mercy and love. Sean gets it. And God's really using him in powerful ways. Well, he, Sean wasn't as famous then as he is now, but he was leading one of these final sessions. I mean, there's like 2,200 people in the room. The worship was incredible. And so Sean is leading the session, and he's talking about this, this open, he sees like an, I think he used the term portal, above us in the room, and from where I was kind of sitting, I was like on the fringe of it, not on the center of it. But I'm just, I've been praying for two years, God, give me eyes that see and give me ears to hear. And, I'm, and, and the atmosphere is charged. And so I'm just sitting there. I, I can remember my arms are folded like this. And, and though they're, it's like the last night of the conference, right? Worship was intense. Usually that atmosphere is like tons of energy, right? You guys have been in events like that. I'm, I'm as more at peace than I think I've ever been. I'm just sitting there, and my whole body's at peace. And I begin to see a vision. And this is the vision that I see. I see a path in front of me that leads to a garden gate. It's like a cobblestone path that no one had walked on in a long time. I could see that, that green stuff, grass and whatever, <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn. Green stuff was coming up between the stones. And there was some kind of vines on this, this garden gate. And I don't think I stepped forward. It felt more like I just kind of floated forward. And as I approached the gate, the gate opened. And a little further in, it led to a cobblestone spiral staircase. And I can remember as I looked at the staircase, and I looked up, I went up in the spirit. I did, I went up. In Ephesians, uh, in uh, Revelation 4.1, God says to John, come up here. Right? Well, there was some form of coming up. And I find myself in this, I go through this, bland, this, this, I go through what looks like clouds, like we have in the sky today, just white clouds. And, they, and then I go through this dark band. And then I, I, have, I break through that into this, into this space of brilliant, bright, 
whiteness. It's just white. Everything's white. There's, everything is so white that there's no definition. It's just white. And I'm, so I'm just sitting there for a while, and I'm realizing I'm having a vision. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I've been waiting for this for so long, you know? And I wonder what's going to happen. And so the next thing that happens, right? For two years I've been praying, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear, right? I mean, I want thunderbolts. I want to see the throne of God. I, I want, you know, I want to see the four living creatures, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I want to see Peter. I want to see something really religiously cool is what I'm expecting. That's what I'm expecting. God's ways are not my ways. The next thing I see is this baseball floating in front of my face. It's as if the baseball is right here. I don't think it's seriously. <laughs> I wait all this time. I, was, I mean, this baseball is perfect. This baseball, is, it seemed like it would never been used. It's perfectly white. I can see where the red stitching goes into the holes. And I'm just looking at this baseball. And it's just kind of like hovering there for a while. And I'm trying to figure out, I don't, I don't know what to do with this baseball. And, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit that thought occurred to me, well, try catching it. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. So I reached up my hands in the Spirit, and I take hold of this baseball, and as I pull it down, there's Jesus. Wow. <coughs> I mean, just to see him. I mean, about as far from me as you are right now, Brian, that was the distance between Jesus and I. And I'm just looking at him, and Jesus kind of like does this with his hands as if to say, throw the ball back. <laughs> oh, okay. So I throw the ball to him. And he threw it back to me. And I threw the ball back to him, and he threw it back to me. And so for two years I prayed that I would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and when God reveals himself to me, what he wants to do is play. It kind of reminds you after the resurrection, right? Here's... here's the all-powerful God of the universe, He created everything, He came to us, He lived a perfect life, He dies on the cross, we experience the resurrection on Easter, and what is the next thing He does with His disciples? He makes them breakfast. He makes breakfast for them. He's on the beach waiting for them, the all-powerful God of the universe make breakfast. We don't know God, guys. We don't know Him. Our heads have been so jammed, filled with religion, that we don't know God. And he wants to reveal himself to us as the God who makes breakfast and who answers his son's prayer after two years by saying, let's play catch. And so that vision goes on, and, and I would discover only all these years later that that vision, profound as it was for me, became a roadmap for our lives. We're alongside... When I'm looking at after after we play catch for a little while, I realize we're on the first base side of a of a little league baseball diamond, and the diamond's just perfectly manicured. It just looks awesome, but it's kitty size. And so Jesus takes me to home plate, and we stand there for a little bit, and then we look down at home plate, and I can tell something's written on it. And then from there we go to first base, and there's something written on there. We stay there for a little bit, then we go to second base. Something's written on there. I could tell something's written. I don't know what. From there, we go to third base. Third base, we go back to home plate. And from home plate, we go to the visitor's dugout. And um, I can remember, like, I don't want to go to the visitor's dugout. I want to be the home team, right? And he reminded me that we're strangers and aliens and exiles in a foreign land. Oh, okay. So only as... Years have passed now. It's been 13 years since then. It was just not long ago. I woke up one Sunday morning, maybe a month ago, with that vision on my mind. I hadn't read it in so long. And God had already given me pieces of it. I knew that home base was New York. That's where Nadine and I met. That's where we lived our whole lives until we left and went to West Virginia, which was first base. From West Virginia, we went to Washington State, which was second base. From Washington, we went to Texas, which was third base, and then we went back home to New York. I was like, oh, Lord. I, how, I didn't know that you would speak to me in these creative ways. From home base, we go to the visitor's dugout, and it was that morning I woke up with this epiphany. Oh, the visa that Nadine and I have for being here in Canada is called a visitor record. Oh. 
So the dugout is Canada. Right? Now, I get if it doesn't make sense to you. It makes sense to me. God speaks Tom. He speaks my language. He speaks to me in ways that I recognize. I have those aha moments. That was him. So that vision, after two years of praying, has, has stayed with me, and it's had, it's had lasting impact and given understanding. Oh, God, you are in this. You are leading us. We, we've gone to the places you wanted us to go. The timing has been your timing, whether it makes sense or not. And so over the next two years, from 2004 to 2006, I would have a spattering, a handful of visions over those next two years. And then, and then something significant happened. So most of the time I, I would be having these, these visions in times of dedicated prayer. I'd go worship the Lord for a while. I'd sit quietly. I'd listen. I would focus on the Lord. And in, and in that place he would show me something. Well, in 2006, I'm just kind of like doing normal everyday stuff. And I'm walking throughout my day. And suddenly I see these two heavenly beings. And I see them with as much clarity and intensity as I sit here and I look at you right now. And one was on my right and one was on my left. And there was power of God emanating from them. I thought they, they were angels because I really had no other box, no other context for them. And I saw them and the whole thing lasted 1.5 seconds because I freaked out. I looked at them and there was so much life and energy coming from them it just freaked me out, and I just jolted myself out of the experience. This is probably the part of the story you guys have heard before. And, um, and so for days, for weeks, I didn't tell anybody. Well, for days anyway. For days, I didn't tell anybody. And then finally, I was like, oh, man, maybe I should tell Nadine about this. I hope she doesn't think I'm crazy, but, you know, people who see things sometimes get labeled. And <laughs> I was like, okay, babe, I got to tell you something. And she's like, oh, I think that's God. Really? You think that's God? Yeah, I think it's God. I don't have to do with it. Well, you should call our friend Doug Addison. <sighs> Doug had been to our church a few times, certainly more experienced than I was. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to tell somebody else. She said, yeah, yeah, you should call Doug. So it takes me a couple of weeks, and I muster up my courage. I call Doug and, you know, tell him what I've seen and experienced. And he's like, well, he's like, you should probably call our friend Scott because he knows more about this than I do. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Doug, you have no idea how much courage it took just to call you. Oh, yeah, call Scott. <sighs> I knew Scott. Scott had been to my church a bunch of times. Scott was a big guy. He was kind of rough kind of guy. He's from New Jersey, right? He looked like he was from New Jersey. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I got to tell Scott. But I was desperate to find out what was going on. Is this really God? And so another couple of weeks go by, and I, I muster up the courage. I give Scott a call. And um, he said a few things to me that I'll never forget. It was life-changing for me. It was, it was a pivotal moment. It was an epiphany. The first impact I had is as I shared my story with him, I could tell that he believed every word I was saying. He wasn't questioning me. He wasn't judging me. He fully believed the fact that I saw something and he believed it was God. And it just, it just lifted this burden off my heart. It lifted fear off of me. It lifted shame off of me. He accepted me. He accepted what I shared as though it was God. And then he gave me incredibly wise counsel. He said, did you ask him any questions? I'm thinking, I had 1.5 seconds. I didn't have time. I said, I can, I didn't, it never even occurred to me. I said, I can ask questions? He's like, oh, yeah. He says, question makes it so much better. I'm like, oh, man. I'm thinking, well, that makes sense. And so I figured he knew, he was smart enough to know that asking questions was a good idea. Maybe he knows what kind of, ask, what kind of questions to ask. Well, what questions should I ask? He says, well, you want to ask them their names. Oh, that's a good idea. Their names would be good. He says, and you want to find out why they're there. Why? Oh, that's a really good question, too. <laughs> and then Scott prayed for me. And um, Scott's now gone on to, to be with the Lord uh, just, just about a year or so ago. Just an amazing man of God. And he, he coined the phrase that a bunch of our friends have used called scary wonderful. And Because uh, he'd had some amazing experiences with God. And I can tell you that some of the encounters I've had with the Lord, not the baseball one, but certainly these two heavenly beings, they were scary, wonderful. They were scary and wonderful <laughs> all at the same time. 
And so not long after this conversation with Scott, um, I have another experience with these two heavenly beings. And this gets me to the point of, of uh, Ephesians 1.17. So it's July 1st, 2006. It's my 30th anniversary as a Christian. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you, um, I, I went and found my journal from that day. And I copied, copied it just as it was written. So I want to share with you that journal entry and maybe make some commentary along the way. So I, I'm in the presence of the Lord and, and I'm, I'm having a vision. And this is how the vision starts. I write, I feel as if I'm surrounded by light, like I'm standing on the sun. I see colors. I see orange and yellow and white. I see a golden amber and I see some red. Then a thin line of light, kind of like lightning, strikes my heart, and it immediately ricochets to my mind. So I think in that moment that God was putting something necessary in me <laughs> so that I could have understanding for the rest of the experience. He touched my heart with his light and his power. He touched my mind. All right, I look so small compared to the enormity of the light around me. There is immense power, but I'm safe and protected and almost comfortable. I realize this isn't God, but merely, this is the epiphany I had, I think, from that lightning strike. This isn't God. My first thought, oh, I must be surrounded by God, this huge ball of light. This isn't God, but merely a molecule of breath from his life. I'm surrounded by his spoken word, and the power of it is indescribable. There is lightning from every direction within this sphere, and these balls of light, there are balls of light shooting from it. And the thought occurs to me, the scripture says that the word of God is alive and active. It is alive and active. Two very large, white, winged beings, angels, I presume, flank me. Each take a hold of me under my arms, and we race forward at this incredible rate of speed. This molecule of God's spoken word behind us explodes. It's released with power, and we seem to ride the shockwave of it as if we were surfers. Somehow I seem to know that had I been within this word when it exploded, I probably would have been disintegrated by the power of it. These angels rescue me, and they seem to be enjoying the ride. They're laughing with great joy. Remember I said scary, wonderful? For me, this is more on the scary side of the scale. One of them has dark hair, the other one blonde. Bolt long and flowing, in what I guess is wind. See, we're kind of soaring in the spirit, and their hair is growing back. Their eyes are piercing. One, one's blue and the other green. But they're so pure, it's difficult to look at them. They look right into my soul, and I quake. I have to look away. And I don't want to. I want to look back. I keep trying to look back in their eyes, and I look away so intense as their gaze into my soul. So I remember Scott's questions. And so I muster the courage, and I say, Who are you? And they reply, We are your guardians, assigned to you from the foundation of the earth. We celebrate this day with you. We were with you 30 years ago today, and we have been with you every moment since. The dark-haired, green-eyed one introduced himself as the spirit of wisdom, and the blonde-haired, blue-eyed one introduced himself as the spirit of revelation. That's when I asked them why they were here. And they told me that we've been assigned to you that you might know the Lord better. And I kind of had an epiphany then. I realized, oh, that's Ephesians 1, 17 where Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. And up until that point, I mean, how many times I'd read those verses, they were familiar to me. I never considered that wisdom and revelation would somehow have personhood or personality to them. I just thought it, the prayer meant something other. And it may mean that too. 
But certainly on this day, God decides to manifest the spirit of wisdom and revelation as personalities to me. So I asked him, I'm thinking, this question thing's working for me. You know, I asked him, where are we going? And they tilt their heads and look at each other and smile and look back at me. And in unison, they laugh and say, to your destiny, of course. Oh. And wisdom is on my, on my left and revelation's on my right. As the power of God's spoken word propels us forward, wisdom says this to me. And i got to tell you, what he's sharing next, I still don't fully understand. Maybe someday. Wisdom tells me, he says that all time and space is established and, and sustained by the Almighty's word. All time and space is established and sustained by the Almighty's word. And Revelation adds, all time and space are advanced by his word. Sounds right. Kind of sounds theologically sound. Why I was being told that day, I'm not certain. That's how it is with vision sometimes. God gives the experience first and the understanding later. Sometimes the understanding is much later. If you don't agree with that, consider the book of Revelation. <laughs> so I seem to know that we're orbiting God, an orbit that will never be completed because of its enormity. My escorts laugh at this, as this truth is revealed to my mind. And they say to me, we will lead you in the way of truth. Now that you know we are here, ask us anything and we'll tell you. The revelation of our presence is the Father's gift to you on this special day. It's my 30th anniversary as a Christian. And I can just feel the weight of God in their words. Revelation speaks. He says everything changes now. Everything will advance much more quickly. Doors are open. Favor with man is increased. Favor with heaven has increased. God your heart. God your eyes. God your tongue. There's great power in your words. Their wings cover my eyes and my mouth. And the hands are over my heart. As we continue to race forward, I see myself from behind. And I see arrows falling from my back. And wisdom tells me that these are the false accusations of men and the assignments of the enemy against you. They and their poison have been removed from your soul and you've been healed. They will no longer hinder your ability to fly. We saw together wisdom on my left, revelation on my right. And I realized that my journey is about to get much more exciting. And that was the end of that day's journal entry. And it has. Since that day, I've, I don't say this to brag, but just to, to let you know that it was true. I mean, amazing things have happened in, in my relationship with God and the journey Nadine and I have been on. But I've had hundreds of visions since then. Hundreds. And I know... And I can tell you this, I would see even more if I set aside the time for it. I know that's the truth. God would give more if I would pay attention. The analogy I used during worship about the turning the radio on, guys, we can connect with him at any time. I think the only limit to what God wants to reveal is the time and attention I, I'm willing to spend in the relationship. Back to Ephesians 1, verses 19b to 23. That power is the same as the, might, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So the very same power that raised Christ from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit, that seal of God on our lives is in us. It's ours. The same God has chosen us and called us and justified us and glorified us. 
That same Jesus is enthroned above every rule and authority and power and dominion. You are set up for good. Man, that's good news. Every last thing has been placed under Jesus' feet. Because God has appointed, God the Father has appointed Jesus as the head over everything. And he did it for us. He did it for his church, for his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's no wiggle room with that. That's all inclusive. <laughs> That's entirely comprehensive. That's exhaustive. That's everything. And get this. That all-powerful God who has all that authority, who has absolute authority, He loves us. He loves me. He loves you. He loves us with a great love and a lavish love, the Scripture says. He loves us sacrificially and completely and perfectly. He loves us. The all-powerful King of Kings and Lord of Lords loves us. That's amazing. So let me tell you one last thing that I've learned about having visions and experiences with God. God gives me visions not because I'm good. God gives me visions because He's good. If it was, if it was, if my goodness was a requirement, if my ability to be holy was a requirement, I would never have visions. I know me. Most of the time on Sundays, you guys get to experience my highlight reel. Nadine gets to see the every day. <laughs> and the blooper reel. Okay? God doesn't give visions to people because they're good or they're holy. Read the scriptures. You see some of the people he chose to use? David? Peter? Samson? Balaam? I mean, come on, guys. This is the Bad News Bears, <laughs> if you remember that movie. First Corinthians, he tells us, he chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Paul challenges the Corinthians, think of who you are when you were called. None of you were of noble birth. God doesn't choose, he doesn't choose us because we're good. His goodness makes us good. He doesn't choose us because we're holy. His holiness makes us holy. He gives us gifts because they're actual gifts. If they were earned, they wouldn't be a gift. They would be wages. He gives us gifts. And he lets us play with the gifts, whether we're qualified or not, whether we've been trained or not, whether we've earned the right or not to have those gifts. Because he loves us that extravagant. And he's... He's been so kind to me. I can tell you over the years that I've made both these mistakes. I've shared two little visions because I was afraid of getting a negative reaction from people. And I've shared too many visions because I thought I was a big shot. Wouldn't you like to be cool like me and have visions? I've, I've made a mistake on both ends. And neither time did he ever stop giving me visions. Are you tracking with me? The visions were given not because I'm, I'm worthy of visions. He gave me the visions because I asked and he heard the cry of my heart and said yes. And that's how it works. He's that good. He gives it to us because we prayed or other people prayed. Like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And throughout the centuries that word is echoed until it landed on this kid's heart from Brooklyn. He's that good. Why am I telling you this? Because he's that good for you. Maybe there's one person here and you sit and you listen to me and maybe my stories have provoked you to jealousy. I hope so. And maybe you're thinking like I did that day. God, you're no respecter of persons. And if you did it for Tom, maybe you could do it for me. And my answer to you is a resounding yes. 
He can. And my prayer is that you will. So let's pray. Oh God, Charlottetown Vineyard, we come before you this morning and this is the cry of our heart. We want to know you better. We want to know you better. I don't think we know how good you are. I don't think we know your kindness, your mercy, or your grace. I don't think we know how lavishly and extravagantly you love us. I don't think we know the ways that you operate. We think you're like us and you're not. We place on you human standards and they don't fit. Your ways really aren't our ways. They are so much higher than our ways. And, our, and your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. So Lord, we yield to you today. As much as we're able, we yield our hearts, we yield our minds. We yield our ways and our will to your ways and to your will. Oh God, we want to know you better, who you actually and truly are. We want to know your heart and your mind and your will and your ways and your plans for our lives so much better. So Lord, I pray, like Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation today. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Reveal to each of us, Lord, the hope of our calling. Lord, rend the heavens and pour out hope in unprecedented measure. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed demonstrate in our lives your incomparable, without comparison, the greatness of your power. Lord, I pray for a release of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that your power would come and do whatever you want your power to come and do. And we pray specifically, oh God, that you would release your power so that the sick might be healed, that the lame would walk, the blind would see. Oh God, so release your power so that the dead would be raised here. The dead would be raised here on Prince Edward Island. Make it so, God. Come and do God-sized things. Come and do the things that only you can do. Do things that we cannot do, that you never designed us to do. Come and do God-sized things. John, would you come up and lead us in the final song? If you need prayer for anything today, if some of the things I shared sparked interest in you and you'd like me to pray for you, like I had those guys pray for me, come forward, I'd be happy to pray for you. If you have any need today, anything whatsoever, come forward for prayer while John leads us in the final song. And we'll be happy to pray for you.